Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the action others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hello, everyone. I'm excited today to bring you Clifton Corbin. Clifton is the author of multiple books that focus on teaching financial literacy to children, young adults, and parents. His latest book is a revised version of the classic Richest Man in Babylon. Welcome to the show, Clifton. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So to start, can you give us an idea of you know your journey from you, know, you graduate high school and you're 18 years old, and then kind of what kind of path did you lead down that kind of got you to you know, becoming an author and in and kind of this mission you have to teach you know people about you know financial literacy, wealth, income, all that stuff? Sure, sure. So I went off to university right around 18 years old. Um, and prior to 18, I thought I knew everything there was to know about money. Like I had some early jobs, earning money was easy, had some money in the in the checking account, had some money in my savings account. I felt good about my money situation. Went off to university, got those early credit cards, didn't know what I was doing, dove deep into debt and just made a mess of my finances. So I spent, you know, those first couple of years of my early 20s diving into debt and the last couple of years of my 20s just digging out of debt, dodging debt collectors and and just trying to figure out how how someone who thought he had it all together, how I could have made such a mess with my money. So that was kind of my goal mm. with this book and how I kind of came to this space. Um, it wasn't a direct line by any means. Like I, I, I had a couple early jobs after I graduated university. I, you know, I had some, some bad timing with the graduating. So my first degree was in uh, computer engineering. Thought I'd, you know, be able to arrive that t- tech bubble mm. first right before I graduated. So that didn't work out well. Ended up having to take like a job that I did not want after university, but that was okay. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to do my MBA. So I figured, you know, there's a lot of money in business. So I you know, went back to school, did my MBA. And right around the time I was graduating, that was about 2008. So, you know, I, I was able to hit two bubbles with uh, two degrees. So I have a bit of a track record. So I, I'm not planning to go back to school anytime soon, just to, to protect everyone's wallet. Yeah, thank you. Um, no problem. So yeah, after I graduated from that second degree, I muddled my way through, eventually found a, a really, a really good job. Um, and it was going great, actually. I quite, I quite liked my last, uh, my last couple of, uh, of positions. But, you know, I started the family and, and my wife and I, we kind of, uh, we knew that we wanted to have a parent who stayed at home, uh, which was kind of, you know, what was our aspiration? We're like, if we could have one parent at home, that would be great. Uh, and it, we, we joke often that it was kind of a race to the bottom to see who was making the least amount of money once the kids showed up. So that, that would be the person who stayed home. Uh, and it turned out to be me. My wife's a, you know, she's a high achiever and I've always said she'd be the first person I hire if I started, uh, started another business and, she was willing to work for me. Uh, so she's working. I'm at home. And while I was at home, I realized this was the time. This was the time to finally focus on, you know, how do I start helping parents and young adults and, and kids understand financial literacy and understand 
you know, hopefully avoid some of those missteps that I took when I was younger. As much as I said, when I was younger, I, you know, I understood how to earn and save. It was kind of only part of the picture. I didn't understand wealth and wealth creation and debt and managing debt and leveraging debt. Um, I didn't understand all those pieces. So that's kind of why I went back to, uh, back to the basics to write, you know, write this book and create other products and resources for parents so that we can start getting our kids, uh, ready for adulthood. Yep. Okay. That's great. And then, um, Talk to me a little bit about the rewriting of the book, the the richest man in, in Babylon. I guess first, what is what is the richest man in Babylon? Start with there, and then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what updates you made. Sure, sure. So, the richest man in Babylon is an iconic book that came out in 1926. Um, it's made up of a bunch of short stories, uh, parables, if you will, that uh, talk about a, a person who was not wealthy, who basically talks through his story about becoming wealthy. And in doing so, he's also teaching and training other people on how to gain wealth, how to, you know, spend less than they earn, how to um, basically just manage finances in a, in a, in a way that makes sense. But the thing that's beautiful about the book is that because it's written in a narrative style, it's a lot easier, I think, for people to kind of get these concepts. It's not, you need to do this, you have to do that. It's a nice little story and it's short, like, yep. by Size stories throughout the book, which is really nice. Um, what happened is I it's been a favorite book of mine for for as long as I can remember. And I actually used it as a guidebook for myself when I was trying to get out of debt and trying to build up my own wealth. Um, so a couple about a year or so ago, I was like, well, my son's about 10 years old. I know the book wasn't written for children, but I was like, I could I could still read it to a 10-year-old. It's it's you know, it's PG content. So I was like, I'm gonna read it to my son and when and you know, hopefully get him. Like I said, yep. my goal is to help young young people get on the track. So I was like, I'll read it to him and see how it goes. And within the first page or to his eyes just glossed over like he's like i don't i don't know what you're saying because the way the book was written it was the kind languages by yeah, you know like a bible like kind of like yeah format yep. yeah it was it was hard. I, I guess that was the idea was to kind of make it like biblical in, in the way that it was written and also not only that like just the it was written in 1926. So, you know, back then we were much more patriarchal than we are now. It wasn't a very, uh, the, the cast in the book is not diverse at all. It's every, you know, every character is a male and, and every object and every, uh, every animal is referred to with that kind of, uh, you know, masculine pronoun. And I was like, this, this doesn't reflect where we are now as a society. And I was like, if my son, who's a bright kid, can't get these concepts. And, you know, when, when people talk about writing and plain language, they say, right. So, you know, someone in grade five could read it. Yep. My son's in grade five and he couldn't yep. understand it. I was like, this is a golden opportunity. So I said, I'm going to rewrite this because, you know, the copyrights run out and I've seen lots of other versions of it out there, but none of them, I think, really hit that plain language and, you know, trying to change up the, the, the cast and trying to change up the stories just to make it a little bit more relatable. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to revise this, but instead of just doing it and hoping that, you know, someone in grade five would be able to understand it, I did it with my son. So what I would do is I'd read a couple sentences to him and I was like, do you know what this is, what this is about? Do you understand what's happening here? Do you understand what it means to pay yourself first? And if he said yes, I was like, okay, great. And we'd keep going. And as soon as he said no, I'd revise it and change the language a little bit. And we did that back and forth until we got through the whole book. And I was like, okay, this is, this is better. And with the exception of one chapter, which I found just kind of didn't hit the mark even back then. The book still has the same stories, but the characters have been, like I said, updated, revised. I wanted to make sure that there were, you know, not just women, but women who were who were empowered. So it wasn't just like I'm the whole story is basically, you know, it's a teacher and student. Like that's kind yeah. of the 
the parlay of the book is where you go on teacher and student. So I wanted to make sure there's a good mix of both teachers who are, you know, diverse and students who are diverse. So I tried to mix it up as much as possible to kind of make sure that when someone who's reading it now reads it, they could see themselves in it. Um, and I, I don't mean to say that, you know, if you're a man, you can't see yourself in a female character. Or if you're a female, you can't see yourself sure. in, a, in yeah. a male character. But I wanted the cast to be a lot more diverse than it was in the original in the original uh, script. And that's kind of what I did with the with the Okay. Revised version. I think I, I think it's played out pretty well. How, how does it work with like a copyright running out? Like, can you explain a little bit like how you're able to kind of rewrite this and just I don't know some of the technical side of it, how that all works? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, um, every book that you write or anything that you write, if you wrote something down right now, technically it's yours. You have a copyright on it. Um, depending on where you are, different jurisdictions do it differently. But let's just talk about the uh, the states for now. Yep. Um, after a certain amount of time, depending on when it was written, there's, there, it, it does get kind of technical. Depending on when it was written, the book will have, let's say, 70 years where it's protected. You can't touch it. You can't do anything with it. After that time, the book goes into the public domain. Now that can change. There's different, like there's different rules depending on when it was written. So sometimes it's 70 years or 50 years after the death of the author. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. 50 or 70 years after the book was actually published. Uh, books that were written back in the 1920s, there was a, a period where you could actually um, extend the copyright. Okay. Um, but as of this year, I believe any book that was written, even if the author had extended their their copyright or like what have you, twenty twenty two or whatever, twenty yeah exactly. Yeah. So okay. and, and uh, January first is you know National Public Domain Day, which is just it's just because it or starts on Got the it. calendar year. Okay. So at this year, these books all fall into the public domain, and, okay, and so that's the, one of them. the thing about it is. Yeah, and, and Richest Man of Babylon is one of those books that's fallen into the public domain. But the beauty of it is that, and you've probably seen this with, uh, you know, Pride and Prejudice and I think it was Zombies or something like that. So some of these books, it, it gives you a chance to take this, this, this rich, like, library of content and bring it back into, you know, into the public sphere, which yeah. is great because a lot of this stuff was, it was golden. It's still gold. It's just kind of falling yeah, out language. of, uh, out of so even though like you can, like you can use that name, like you can, use it the richest man in babylon like the copyright like everything expires the story the name everything okay everything. it's like and is it up for grabs like anybody can use it or or is it kind of like a race where now you got it you have obviously your version that someone can't copy but like what is how does all that work Everyone could grab it. Anyone could do whatever they want with it. It, it you know, you do want to give credit to the the original author. Like yeah. I, if you look at the cover of my book, it says it was written by uh, George S. Clayson, and then I just used myself as the editor, uh, myself and my son as the editor. But technically, you could do whatever you want with it. It is it's totally up for grabs. Um, now, if I were to, I've published my version of it. If someone were to come along and take the language and like actual sentence structure and words that I use, that would be against uh, your, the copyright. You are right. Got it. Because yep, it's my version. version. Yep. But as long as I was using the original content, I could have done a word-for-word yep. word, um, okay. copy-paste and just put it out there. Which you've seen. And actually, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this is that I've seen some folks who've done the basically they'll just take the original, they'll put a new cover on it, and they'll put yeah. it out there. I, I've seen think, like, Think and Grow Rich. Well, they'll add yes. some modern-day comment. At the end of the chapter, they'll talk about... Exactly. Whatever. Mark Cuban or Bill Gates or I don't know some some right. famous rich person, like and how the story applied to them in the footnotes. Exactly, um, exactly. I, I, or they'll do a forward or something like that. But the, for the richest man in Babylon, the versions I were seeing, I, I went like I said, I wasn't impressed. There was like yeah, and you, were for a kid. And, you have a different audience than maybe maybe whoever they were trying to target to, right? 
Well, that's just it. It's like I've written it where a child can understand it, but the audience isn't necessarily for children. It's still for adults. I just made it in a way that, you know, I don't think any adult who reads this wouldn't be able to catch it, which is what I was hoping for. Yeah. So can you kind of go over the framework from The Richest Man? Like some of the, you know, I know there's a certain percentage you pay yourself, pay down debt. I mean, can you kind of give us someone who's never read the book? Can you kind of give us the the one-on-one of what's the framework kind of in the book uh, that you use? I mean, you said you personally used it, so... Yeah, no, I think the 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 big takeaway from the book, and I think lots of folks who've been into like listened to or read any of the finance uh, finance principles, they probably have heard this line: "Pay yourself first. Yeah. I think that was kind of it was coined in this book, and I think that's kind of the that's the core of the book. So the concept of paying yourself first means before you pay, you know, your electricity bill, before you do the groceries, before you do anything, you take some of the money that you've earned and you put that away. That's the the starting point of you building wealth. Like, you know, we've heard newer versions of it now where it's like make it automatic or, you know, the 80-20 or all these different versions, but all of it kind of goes back to this idea from The Richest Man in Babylon, which is to take some of the money that you earn and save it. The rationale behind that is if you're saving some of the money that you earn, well, a few good things happen. One, you're living off of less than you make, which means you're you've got you've got a margin. You've got margin to work with, right? So if you're living off less, less than you make, if you know things change and you've you know you have an emergency or what have you, you have a little bit of money there that you can you can draw on. In addition to that, that money that you have, that money is supposed to be working for you. So you know once you build up your little you know stockpile of money for an emergency, now that money can be used to invest and grow and and make money. The idea being your money should be working to yeah. make more money, which is you know okay, for your audience, this is what you do. You you know whether that's starting a business, whether that's yep. investing, exactly. Yep. You know if it's a franchise, but if you have that money there you have that money there to work for you and it's it's interesting because the same concept works when you're when you're working uh in a business right like i think there's a a popular book called profit first it's basically the same concept as pay yourself first but it's just flipped around with a business context it's the same it's the same idea um so that's kind of the start of the book and like i said the book is written in, in narratives but it starts with making sure you're paying yourself first and then it kind of goes through you know other things that you need to make sure you're doing with your money so make sure that you're securing your money to make sure that you know as you build your wealth, you're doing the things that you need to do to make sure that you're not actually losing your wealth, whether that be budgeting. Um, so there was one chapter in the book about insuring your money, but uh, that was a chapter I, I didn't care so much for, so I rewrote it totally. But making sure your money is properly insured, making sure you've got life insurance and all these other you know, things that we all probably hear to some degree or another, but it walks you through in a nice nice little, like I said, stepwise process to make sure first you're making sure that you can manage the money that you have coming in, right? Like if we, a lot of us will think if we want to do X, Y, and Z, we need to make more money. Well, first you need to make sure you're doing what you should be doing with the money you have coming in. I'm not saying you you might not need to get that side hustle or start another business or what have you, but if you can properly manage the money you have coming in, then we can start working on what we need to do with our money. So that's kind of the idea. So start by paying yourself first and then start doing these other things to make sure your money's making money, make sure that you're securing your wealth. And then, you know, it doesn't talk about, you know, having a will, but it's the same kind of concept to make sure that, yeah. you know, the people in your in your circle are well prepared for or if anything happens to you. Like these are the things as a as a business owner, it's the things you need to do to make sure that you are not just taking care of yourself, but you're taking care of your dependents and anyone else in your circle. Yep. Yeah, it's a great concept paying yourself first. I actually had the author of Profit First, Mike McAllowitz on a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, it's funny because I, you know, a lot of times in our business, we really focus on profit and like driving and cutting expenses. But then sometimes when it comes to like our personal lives, you know, sometimes we don't 
like I personally take them, I'm a more aggressive on the business side than I am on my personal life, right? In terms of like tracking it and setting these goals and all this stuff. And it's something, you know, I'm, I'm working to, to do as well and get better at. I think it's, uh, you, you can take all those same principles and apply them to, to both. Um, I, I agree. That's I agree. And I'm, I'm glad you have Profit First on uh, the author of Profit First. I love that book. I think it's for anyone in your in your world. It's it's a right. it's a great it's manual. Uh, so we we've been filing it at my company for years. I mean, it's probably been six years or or, or so, and it's been been great for us. And I think uh, a lot of it is like it's kind of like that savings, right? You can you can stash a little bit of money away into a separate account. So you're like. There's something about when you move, when you physically move money into another account, your brain does something where it does cut it off versus, you know, keeping it all in one big account. But then you like having this ledger in your head that says, all right, well, this much is for taxes and this much is for, you know, this big expense or credit card bills or all these different things. And so, um, especially, I mean, as business owners, you start having to pay quarterly taxes and property bills and all this stuff. Uh, you know, as you start to make money, your life, your life becomes more complicated and cash flow becomes, you know, sometimes more drastic with these huge swings up and down, and uh, it can be pretty stressful if you don't have a really good system to um, to take care of it. So I think uh, you know all this, all the stuff we're talking about follows that that same pattern, it's just kind of in your personal it's life same. as well. Exactly, exactly. Good. So one of the things that you like to talk about is you know kind of these conversations on our kids. Like, how how does someone go about you know having a conversation with their kids, starting to talk about money and wealth without making it. I, I don't know, you know, kids, it's, you know, I have a six year old and we start to talk to her a little bit about money and stuff. And then, you know, of course, sometimes she'll, you know, bring it up in a way that's kind of awkward. Right. And so I don't know, <laughs> how do you, how do you kind of recommend, uh, what age do you start talking about? What do you, how do you teach and, and how do you kind of start those conversations? Um, I love that you said that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn it on you in a second because I'm curious to know what made that conversation awkward. But I'm going to answer your question first. So I like the idea of talking about money or starting to talk to kids about money as soon as they start noticing it, as soon as they show any interest or curiosity. Um, once they start noticing you're, you know, you're tapping that card to pay for something, like what's happening there? And I think especially for your audience, you know, you've got so many business owners, so many, so many entrepreneurial people in your life. They've got experiences that I think will just enrich their child if they open up, you know, to show what's happening in their day-to-day life, like show them how they're making money. And like, I feel like one of the problems we have is that, well, one, our schools aren't doing this. Our schools aren't talking about money. They're not teaching about gaining wealth and and growing, you know, a portfolio of assets. But that's not something that's happening in the school system. So it leaves it on the on the parents to do that. And like I said, with an, with a, if you've got a business and you're, you're already running a business, you've got an opportunity here, a golden opportunity, in my opinion, to start just showing what's happening behind the doors. Like, this is what I do when I go to work. This is why I'm doing it. And these are, and it's just, it's normalizing some of those conversations. So I often say, if at all possible, you know, give your child an opportunity to practice using money. But I also really encourage you to talk about money and how money works in your life and just open up those uh, open up those conversations. But like I said, I really want to turn it on you. What made that conversation uh, awkward for uh, you? What I would be like, you know, I don't know. I have eleven dollars, and you know, because she get like tooth fairy money or whatever, and be like, "Oh, you know, Susie at school has seven dollars," and so be like, "All right, well, we don't want to like talk about I don't, I don't know the comparison, right? It's it's the comparison sure. of, that sometimes can make it like, and so we talk about that, right? Well, uh, you know, really shouldn't you know compare you know you to other people, right? We should just kind of focus on ourselves, right? And I think um, you know th- th- things things like that where you know a lot of times I'm talking to her, hey, I got to go to work, and well, why do you have to go to work? Why well, have to make money? You know, right? And like I, people go to work to make money, and then so we can then have nice things, right? We can go on nice trips. We can like, you know, 
eat good food, right? Like that's why I have to go to work. Like you, you know, you have to. You know, this is like this is how you make money, and money is like r- runs the world, right? And so, um, starting to kind of, I don't know, you know, get get her into to to that, and you know, six year old, obviously, it's a little cut and dry, so, but um, a little harder. But if but, yeah, I can. Just, if I can, I would encourage you just to keep doing that until that doesn't feel uncomfortable for you. Because I, I hear you, those com- those early conversations, especially when you're comparing one person to another or someone's money to someone else's, it can feel uncomfortable, but that's what your child's doing, right? Like my favorite is, and I'm sure you've, you've seen this, you know, your child walks into, or you're about to go to a function where other kids are going to be there. And one of the first questions my kids always ask is, well, how old are they? Right? Like they're trying to get that pecking order. They're trying to figure out where do I fit in this, yep. in the scheme of what's happening here. And then after that, it's well, okay, so I'm not the oldest. Well, how tall are they? Like they're always trying <laughs> to just figure out where yep. they fit in the world. And it's the same thing with money. So what, you know, if you're comparing, you know, I hear you, you don't necessarily want to say you have more, they have less or what have you, but you do want to acknowledge that the fact that there are people in the world who have more and there are people who have less and we need to make that something that isn't an uncomfortable conversation because that's the norm. Like that's just something that is what is, especially in a capitalist society, we're going to have winners, we're going to have losers. Again, we're business owners here. This is just, this, this is what it is, but we need to make that a comfortable conversation. And if it's a situation where it's like, well, they have less and I have more and what can I do? Then we could start talking about, well, here are some things we could do. We can donate, we can, yep. you know, yep. and one other shift, thing I like to do that is, way, you know, yeah. what can we donate? It, you right? know, like, toys exactly. that you don't use anymore or exactly. you know, food or, you know, whatever. So exactly. Like it's, it's about making sure that our kids understand what they're about to enter into as far as, you know, the adult world where they're going to have to manage their own money not just with regards to the the dollars and cents and being able to you know manage a budget manage savings and manage earning but also where they feel comfortable and confident that okay i know there's people out there who have more than me and that's okay i don't need to have more stuff to feel comfortable or even just recognizing that having more external things more you know yeah, cars or equal, houses or what have you yeah doesn't equal happiness and yep. it doesn't equal wealth Like, that's the other part that, you know, we all know that if I have, you know, a million dollars in my bank account, you don't know how much I have in my bank account. But if I go out and buy a new fancy car, you know, I have a new fancy car. One of those things is wealth. One of those things is an expense. And we need our kids to recognize the difference. Like, there's so much, um, there's so much misinformation with regards to wealth and wealth creation and that our kids see things and think that's wealth but what Mm. they're seeing is things they're not seeing wealth and those are the type of conversations and those are the type of things i really want to encourage um parents and adults to have with kids so that they can recognize you know i don't need to have all these things to be wealthy to be happy to be successful it's really about knowing what's what's what what is success for me what is happiness for me what is real wealth uh and having those conversations with your kids will pay huge dividends down the road Yep. Even if we we go to the arcade and you know she gets these tickets, right? She can she can buy buy stuff, you know, this crappy little stuff at the the you know sure. for whatever four dollars worth. And then so we but then we try to talk about all right instead of like spending it all, what if we save it, right? And if we get enough tickets, like then we can get like a nicer you know, little piece of crap versus uh, whatever. <laughs> so like and so uh, you know in the beginning she's like no 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 I want to spend it all, and then now she's like uh, now she's like gotten it, and you know each time she just like. Then we just save the tickets and, you know, eventually we'll be obviously get something that's a little bit more rewarding. Um, so trying to, trying and that's to just it. stow some of those qualities of, of, of savings and because she can kind of control the spending versus, you know, obviously she doesn't like make money or have other money to spend. So um, that's kind of 
I don't know. It's it's an interesting way that we we can kind of start to layer in those lessons. But that's just it. And you've you've done a wonderful job, and I commend you for that. It's that it's not about just telling them one time. Why don't you save this and then hoping that they'll they'll pick it up? It's you know, kids, kids are kids. We got to tell them the same thing twenty times before they pick it up. So it's having these conversations ongoing, using things that make sense to them. So like, if you were to talk to your kid about saving money for retirement, she'd look at at you like you're crazy but you're talking about saving the tickets from the arcade so the next time she can get a bigger piece of crap as you said yep. so if that conversation makes sense for her and you've had it multiple times and as you said she's now getting it so now you layer that on with when she starts getting some actual money this is the same this is the same concept just with you know actual money and then you layer that on with more well, with this actual money you can actually have some of this money make money for you if we you know, start up a business if we invest it, what have you. So you're layering on that information, but it requires you to be open and, and willing to have those conversations and have them, you know, consistently. Yep. Yeah. One of the things I did, so I'm, I'm into the um, infinite banking policies. I don't know if you're familiar, but like they're cash value. You have the ability to overfund whole life insurance policies and they build up cash okay. value a lot quicker. And then you have the ability to kind of act like a bank account in a sense where you can then borrow, you know, from it. And then pay yourself back. And anyway, it's this, okay. it's this process. So anyway, it's this, it's this like whole thing. But, um, I, I was able to put them on both my, my kids, um, you know, in, in their name. It's under their life. You know, they're the, they're kind of, you know, the owner of the policy, but I, you know, I funded, mm-hmm. um, you know, 12, 12 grand a year, or whatever, under the gift tax. And so what, what's going to happen though is it's, it's kind of an interesting tool. Cause then when they get older, you know, I can teach them about this where it's kind of this forced savings account. And then by the time they're, you know, whatever, 18 or 20 years old, there's going to be, you know, I don't know, 200,000, 300,000 of, of like cash value in this thing, right? That, that it acts like cash that, that then we can teach them, you know, hey, you want to go buy a house? Like they can borrow from this their own life and then they, ha- they can pay it back at whatever frequency they want. And if oh, like they, great. if they never pay it back, in theory, you know, eventually they're going to die and, you know, the life insurance like is made whole. So like, you know, but but it's a it's kind of like a somewhat of a low risk thing, but then it has the ability for them to to teach you know about cash value, about life, just in general, about you know borrowing, about interest because they have to pay interest and all this stuff. So I'm uh, I, don't know, I set both I have two 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 young girls and set that up for both of them as as a tool that we could use, you know, not today, but it's kind of like a long term savings thing that that has all these other benefits too, um, for for tax purposes and in no, other I really ways. Like that. But um, anyway, it's uh, it's it's something that's that's pretty interesting and uh anyway cool so it's this has been great so where can people learn more about you where can they buy the book you know t- tell me all about that sure so you can find me on my website cliftoncorbin.com uh on there i've got resources for like workbooks for kids and all kinds of fun stuff uh a list of books for you know if you're looking for like storybooks to read to kids you can go to clifton and Corbin slash book list. Um, but you can also find me, my, I'm, I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn. That's kind of where I do most of my my stuff. If you're looking for the books, uh, my first book, it's called Your Kids, Their Money. It's available on Audible, Amazon. Actually, that's available pretty much anywhere. Uh, the second book, it's called, obviously, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Mine actually has man crossed out with person written on there. So you can find that one again on Amazon and there's the the Kindle versions up there as well. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story. And I think, you know, you're on a good mission to help teach, you know, parents and kids and young adults and everybody about the importance of personal finance and building wealth. And, you know, I think the more people out there talking about it, you know, the more people that will hear and it'll have an impact. So it's, you have a great mission. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Awesome. Thanks. Stephen. 
That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 